Right, thanks for downloading the Cross Defense podcast this week. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, and we're going to take up this topic of the throne room of God. And then at the end, we'll talk a little bit about transfiguration and where it didn't happen. It's kind of cool to think about. But what does it mean that the Bible talks so much about the throne of God? What is it? What practical effect does that have on our living as Christians in this crazy world? That's what we'll talk about today. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. How's it going? Monday afternoon. That means it's time for Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church uh, right here in Austin, Texas. Glad to be with you today. God be praised for that. Where we take up uh, what? We take up various interesting theological arguments and, and fight against the idea that theology is boring. You remember Luther, we talked about this last week, Luther called this temptation Acadia or Acadia, the idea that, uh, well, what's the idea, that you've read the Bible once, you've read the, you know the Ten Commandments, so you know it all, no problem, piece of cake, got it all down, and we're on to better stuff. No, we always want to go back to the, back to the basics. I was reading something, something about something else, like basketball or something this week, listening to a podcast, and the guy was talking about how, how to, how to actually be good at what you're doing is to fall in love with the basics. And I thought that was such a fantastic point for, for Christians and for Christian life and for Christian discipline and for whatever, is that we, we want to fall in love with the basics. It's not just that we want to we do the basics, but that we want to love the basics, the basics of opening the Bible and, and reading it, the basics of, of, of hitting our knees and praying for the church and for the world and for our families and things like that. And so we want to go back to the basic, back to the scriptures themselves, back, and we, and we want to approach them with this theological imagination and, and rejoice in the things that the Lord does there. And that's what we're after on cross defense, and that's what we're after today. Now, I've got a handful of things that we can do. i got the list here. I want to, I'm interested in thinking about transfiguration and what that means. I've got a question about Christian worship, and I was reading a poem this morning, a marvelous poem, about, about the throne room of God, and I'm interested in exploring that topic as well, and the idea that Jesus sits on the throne, and what does that mean for us, now, what does that mean for us today? So that's, that's what I got on my mind, and we'll kind of meander and kind of piece these things together. Uh, as we go. So so thanks for uh, joining me. If you're interested in more, by the way, more theology and more stuff like that, the website, wolfmuller.co. Wolfmuller.co is where all the stuff ends up. And so if this is uh, if this is enjoyable to you, then there's a lot more over there as well. Well, let's do I got the I got the search open in front of me uh, of the word throne in the Psalms. So let's start there. It, this is one of these. Uh, we were, I was reading a poem. It was a, I think it was a song. Uh, but I was just reading the text of a song this morning, and it was talking about the throne, the heavenly throne, and I was so pleased with that, so pleased with that song, because, well, well, because there, I don't think we talk enough about this, this place, the, the throne of God. In fact, it, it was an interesting thing because uh, last night I had a question uh, at Jesus Staff uh, Lutheran Church. 
uh, after the service, and we, we have a young man there, just incredible guy, and he's learning the creed, and he says, what does it mean that Jesus sits at the right hand of God? What does that, what, what does that actually, what does it mean? And I asked him, I said, do, we, do you have the idiom in ASL? He's a, he's a deaf gentleman, and, and so he, he doesn't speak English. He speaks American Sign Language. And I said, do you have the idiom in ASL that someone is your right-hand man? And he says, no, I don't know. What, is, you know, what does that even mean? So I was trying to explain uh, to him. And so we went back to this understanding that the Lord has a throne room, that the Lord sits on, on a throne, and that the, this throne room is really the sort of the epicenter of well, it's the epicenter of, of, the, of the theological action in the Bible. Let me give you a couple of verses. Psalm 9, verse 4. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous just, just uh, judgment. Or then Psalm 9, 7. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. His, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 47, verse 8. Now, these verses, these are incredible texts, and, and it reminds us then of the importance of this place, of the throne room of God. Now, now the first thing that we want to sort of maybe recognize as we work our way into this meditation on the throne of God is that the the biblical picture and we and maybe it's helpful for us to imagine uh, the the kings in the ancient world. Now we don't have that any longer. Uh, I mean, in the United States, we don't have kings. In fact, what we've done is we have a divided government, and so you have. You have an executive branch and a legislative branch and a judicial branch, and we've and we've made these branches now accountable to one another. We've div divided the power, but you you have to understand that the thing that has been divided there is what used to be united in the throne. So the throne was a place of making laws, a, a legislative branch, of executing laws, the executive branch, and of judging laws, the judicial branch. And that all three of those were combined in the throne. And there was a man who sat on the throne, or a woman, I suppose, who sat on the throne. There was kings and queens uh, in the ancient world, and they had all of, the, all of that power. Well, what does that come from? It comes from the understanding that the Lord himself sits on a throne. That there is a throne room, a heavenly throne room, where God himself rules and reigns over the world. That, that this is this is the picture that's there now now just to sort of press this down on ourselves and into our own imaginations a little bit we want to first realize that if this is true if there's a heavenly throne room and that god is there sitting and acting because that throne is a place of not just sitting but also acting if god is there then uh, then the the theological action of the scriptures is not happening inside of me. Now, this is, a, this is an extreme move for, for most people because most Christians today understand that the, the theater for theological action, the place where spiritual things happen, is in my heart. 
This is how people will talk. This is how they'll talk about what God does. This is how they'll talk about the Holy Spirit. This is how they talk about being a Christian. Everything is happening in my heart. In fact, for a long time, I'm not sure this is the case anymore, but for a long time, people would say to be a Christian is to invite Jesus into your heart. Now that I think about it, I have not, I have not heard that language in a long time. That's something to investigate. But do you see what's going on there is that is that my own heart was the kind of uh was the was the, the 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 space or the area where theological action was happening. In fact, I remember in the old campus crusade days, you would go sharing the four spiritual laws and what was the picture there? Is you had a you had your heart and on that in that heart was a throne and who was going to sit on the throne. Now the important thing is that before we're able to talk about the throne room of our own heart, we better be able to talk about the throne room that's in heaven. The throne room where God sits. The throne room where the universe is ruled. And that's what the scriptures are putting before us. You want to, we gave a few verses. Here's a couple more. I mean, these are amazing texts. Psalm 89, verse 4 which is an incredible psalm. I will establish your seed forever and build your throne for all generations. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. I will establish his seed forever and his throne as the days of heaven. I think this is riffing on the, on the promise that God gave to King David in Second Samuel chapter 7. Or, your throne, this is Psalm 93, your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Psalm 97, 2. Cloud and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and all his kingdom rule over all. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. That's for sure. Talking about this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So there's this throne, and the one who sits on it is the one who is executing power. Now, in the ancient world, especially in Israel, it's really interesting that you had in the throne room, you generally had three thrones. So the throne itself is like a big area. It's not just like one seat, but it's, it's like a space, a throne space. And you have one seat there, and the one who sits on it is a king. And then on his right hand is the prince, and on his left hand is the queen mother. It's interesting. It's not the queen, but it's the mother of the king. And that, so, so these are the three most influential people in the in the kingdom you have the king and the prince and the queen in the queen mother and it was the queen mother who actually caused a bunch of problems all the time but but so so it was so you have the throne room and the one who's who's sitting on the throne is the one who has power now should we understand that the lord literally has a throne room a space where he has some sort of huge big golden chair I suppose if it helps your imagination, that's that's fine. But what we should understand is what that means is that the throne is the place of power. And so the Lord sits in the throne, on the throne, and he and he does throny things. He does the things that are associated with that kind of power. So I think, and I've got a list here, and this list keeps growing, by the way, of the things that happen in the heavenly throne room. And I'm happy to add to the list, but I've got five things on the list now. And and if you have other things that you think should be added to it, please please let me know. But here's what the Bible talks about happening in the heavenly throne room. Number one, there's conversation. And I think this, is, at least to me, is the most exciting, is that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are talking to each other. 
Can you imagine? I mean, there's a heavenly conversation, a heavenly council. That's what that's what the scriptures are are talking about here. And so you have this conversation between the Father and and the Son, and the Holy Spirit gets mixed in there. So you have, for example, Psalm two: Today you are my Son. Well, you are my Son. To get today I have begotten you. Psalm chapter two, or Psalm one hundred and ten. Uh, uh, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Or even Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this conversation between the Father and the Son is is happening in the throne room. In fact, that's one of the chief things that the prophets are to behold when they go into that throne room. The prophets are to behold and listen to hear the conversation between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then they're to make that known that's the song that Jeremiah 23 business where Jeremiah 23 says the false prophets have not stood in the counsel of God they have not heard the Lord's conversation that that's the point they have not heard the Lord's conversation so they don't know what to preach when they go out to preach but the true prophets have stood there so the first thing that happens in that throne room is conversation. The second thing that happens in that throne room is that it's a courthouse. There's judgments that are happening there. Now, the picture of this, which is helpful for us to remember, is um, King Solomon. Remember how the, Solomon asks for a hearing heart, and the Lord gives it to him, and so he has this wisdom, and it's demonstrated how two women come to him for judgment. They go and they say, I remember they both were, I think they were both prostitutes, and they both had babies right at the same time. And one of the babies died, and the woman who had the baby who died, um, she she went and she complained to Solomon that the baby was dead. Uh, or she went and took the living baby, and then the other woman went and complained that she stole the baby. And so the, so the, uh, so that the baby was being debated between these two particular women. And what was the result? Well, Solomon said, well, this is easy. Why don't you take the baby and cut the baby in half? And then, um, and then whoever, and you each get half the baby. And so the woman whose baby, who had stolen the baby said, that sounds fair. And the woman who hadn't said, no, she can have it. And Solomon knew who the true mother was. And he, and he, and he gave her the baby back. Now, the, the point of the, beside, without getting too deep into the whole thing, the point of this is that Solomon was hearing court cases. Now, how amazing is that? That Solomon was there listening to, uh, listening to people argue against one another and making a judgment. Well, that also is happening before the heavenly throne. We see two pictures of that in the scriptures. Job is one. The Job's case is being adjudicated in the heavenly court. And then Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah, or Zephaniah, uh, that Joshua the high priest is being accused before the Lord in his throne. And what happens? He has, an, he has an accuser there. That's the devil who's arguing against him. And then on the other hand, he has an advocate. This is the, this is the doctrine of the paraclete, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So that in the heavenly throne room, Jesus stands and he makes a case. He makes a plea for you and for me. Can you imagine? I mean, if our sins were to stand before that heavenly throne room, we would be toast. But Jesus goes into that place and he makes a plea for us. He pleads his own blood. He pleads his own sacrifice. He pleads his own innocence. And the Father hears that plea. And he makes a decision. He makes a judgment. He says that we're innocent, that we're free, that we're that the debt has been paid. He justifies us. He declares us to be righteous and holy. It's really quite, quite wonderful. In fact, the doctrine of justification finds its 
perhaps most beautiful expression when we understand this heavenly court and this throne room that's there. Well, there's uh, three more things that happen, but I'm getting the warning that our time is clicking down. Maybe one more. The third thing that happens there is petitions are being heard. So that we see that just like in the earthly courts, you can, if you get enough signatures, you can, you can have a petition and people can come and, and sign the petition and, the, and then the people will take up that case. Well, so it is in the heavenly court that, that that courtroom is filled with incense and that incense is a picture of the prayers of the saints, the petitions that are, that are rising up from the Lord's people on earth and coming into his ears in that heavenly court. So there's, so there's petitions that are being heard there as well. Well, that's three of the five things, at least that I can identify, happening at the courtroom. So, uh, so I want to – let's pause there. We've got to take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll finish the list. And then we'll take up the, uh, the question of, well, what does this mean that Jesus is the one who sits on the throne? Uh, and we'll kind of wander towards Colossians, if you guys can let me do that. So, so you're listening across the fence. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, we'll have a quick break. This won't be long at all, I promise. I'll have a quick break. We'll be right back to take up, keep going on this topic, the heavenly court, the throne of God. Stay tuned. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. I'm free to be faithful moderator Kip Allen. The annual National Prayer Breakfast was held earlier this month. This annual event brings together political and spiritual leaders from across the world to pray and discuss various issues. Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty Executive Director Greg Seltz attended. We discuss what he saw and heard at Free to Be Faithful, Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. All right, welcome back to Cross the Fence. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, broadcasting live from the Tower Studio. <laughs> that just sounds cool. The Tower Studio, you know. 
Anyway, we're talking about the throne room of God. We're meandering around a handful of theological topics, and we, we, we made the point that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of throne room talk in the Bible. I mean, the, the Psalms are full of it, the throne of God. Now, I want you to highlight that now. I, I just, maybe even this is the, the point so far, is that when you're, when you're reading the Bible now, I want you to be t- tuned in to, to the language of the throne, and, the, and to understand that the throne is the seat of authority, of making laws, of judging laws, of, of uh, receiving petitions. And, and like an ancient king who had all the power of government concentrated in the throne and in that throne room, so the Lord sits on the throne of thrones, on the throne of the universe. Jesus sits there. The lamb who was slain sits there. This is, this is amazing to think about, that, that in the book of Revelation, the picture of the, the 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 kind of dominating vision is is the slain lamb sitting on the throne wow i mean okay now we talked about the the three of the five things that happen in that throne room and again i think there could be more i i'm i'm happy for this list to expand in fact i think as i'm thinking about my list that someone had told me something else and I forgot to put it on the list, but but remember, there's number one, the thing that happens in the throne room is the conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God be praised that we get a glimpse into that. It's fantastic. Then there's a courtroom that we ourselves are being tried, that our sins are coming before the throne of God, and 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 Jesus is there as our advocate. As our intercessor, the Hebrews 7. Remember Hebrews 7, this beautiful verse? He always lives to intercede for us. In John it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one, so that we have a defense attorney in, in the heavenly court. And Revelation 12 takes this image up so profoundly. Is the devil is there, he has a chair, and now Jesus comes into the court with his blood, with his sacrifice, with his resurrection, with his ascension, and now there's no room for the devil anymore. The the I, I I can't show you guys this unless you're watching it here. But uh, the 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 sign for take away, like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm I'm trying to learn the liturgy in in ASL. And you take your hand and make it flat, and then you act like there's some something disgusting sitting in your hand, and you take your right hand and you grab it and you throw it away. They want the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, this is what Jesus does. He just takes the throne of the devil, his authority to come into the heavenly court, and he just throws it away. Blam! And so now the one who's standing there is Jesus. And, and the evidence that he brings into court is not our righteousness. That's always what we want to bring. We always want to bring the evidence of our righteousness. But Jesus brings the evidence of his blood, his suffering, his cross, his atoning work. He brings that, and that pays the price for our redemption and so we're declared righteous in the heavenly court the third thing that happens is that petitions are heard official prayers the every time we get a vision of the heavenly court it's filled with incense and that incense is the prayers of the saints how wonderful is that and then there's two more things that we want to emphasize there's worship and there's ascending that happens from that courtroom so worship would be and this is an interesting one we see it over and over in revelation in fact, any time this heavenly court breaks in on someone on earth, they can't help themselves but to fall down and worship the Lord. Or we see it in the book of Revelation where, where the elders, the 24 elders surrounding, they take their crowns and they throw them at the feet of the Lord. 
so that so that in the heavenly court there's there's worship happening people are are praising the lord for his goodness for all the things he's done for them god be praised for that and then there's ascending remember this is maybe best with isaiah he he stands before the lord's glory and he falls on his face and i'm a man of unclean lips i live amongst a people of unclean lips and the lord sends the angel with the coal and it touches his lips and you're clean and who will go for me and he says send me send me in jeremiah 23 another key it's just a key text we coming back to it again jeremiah 23 says that the false prophets went even though they were not sent so that you have to be sent from the throne room to be a representative of the king that's, by the way, what the word apostle means. It means to be a sent one. So the apostles of Jesus were sent uh, by Jesus uh, as, an, uh, as official ambassadors of the king. I mean, how about that? How cool, how cool is that? So all of these things are happening. The, the conversation, the court, the petitions, the worship, and the sending. These are all happening around this throne of, of God. Now, a couple more things to to think about when we're when we're thinking about the throne room um, and and perhaps th this is one of the most important ones um, there's a danger in hmm, there's a danger in in our modern secular era th um, that that recognizes that the earthly thrones as the highest thrones you know how I mean, if you don't believe in God, who is above the the president of the United States? Or if you're in China, and you're in secular China, who is above the um, who who is above the king who's ruling in China or in any of the kind of in in, in any place? If you don't believe in God, who is above the one who sits on the throne? Now, this is dangerous. It's especially dangerous for the one who actually sits on the throne. It's especially dangerous for, for, the, for, the, for the king who thinks that he has the highest throne. Because who's going to judge him? If you are the judge that can't be judged, if, if you are the king that has no one over you, then how in the world can you possibly be held accountable? Now, there's a way that, that the Christian doctrine of the throne of God is always saying that, that there might be earthly kings, there might be earthly powers, but they all have rulers that are over them. <laughs> so that when, when we hear the language of, of throne of thrones or lord of lords or king of kings, this is an important thing to talk about. Now, in the ancient world, you know how they would do that. Like the king of Persia would come in and he'd wipe out the other kings and he'd collect them, you know. He'd take the kings and he'd put them kind of in a plush prison back home and let them live happily ever after because now he becomes the king of kings, <laughs> you know. You've got, I've got a collection of other kings that I've conquered in the kingdoms that I've ruled over. And they would, they would often make a footstool. You know how they, they, in the ancient world, oh, they were so pompous. They'd make these footstools. I mean, I suppose we're not that much better. but, 
and they'd put the kingdoms that they conquered so the king could sit on his throne and he'd put his feet up on the footstool of whatever, you know. I conquered Egypt and I conquered the Hittites and I conquered whoever else and now I'm putting my feet on them. I got their king back in the closet over there and I got my feet on the on a picture of the nation so that I'm I'm now king of kings. But but the doctrine of the heavenly throne room reminds us that there's a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly king who is over all of these things. So that no matter how how high you advance, no matter how great your earthly power is, there is always someone above you. And 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 those in charge, those who sit on earthly thrones, need to be reminded of this constantly. There's always someone above you. You are not above judgment. <laughs> this would come up in the martyr stories. I was reading some martyr. I'm always reading the martyr stories. This this weekend I was reading some some martyr stories and they were you know the martyrs are kind of cheeky sometimes it's one of the things i like about them and i can't remember who it was but there was some martyr is a lady martyr and um and she was appearing before the pro council and he comes and he says don't don't you know that i have the authority to to put you in flames <laughs> don't you know that i have the authority to throw you in prison don't you know that I have the authority to kill you? And this lady, oh man, I wish I could remember her name. This lady martyr responds and she says, she says, well, you can burn me for a couple of hours, but the one who will judge you has flames that never die. <laughs> In other words, she was saying, now think about this. She was saying to the one who was persecuting her that you're my judge here on earth, but there is another judge who will judge you. Now that is important. It's important for the tyrants to remember. It's important for the kings of this earth to remember. And it's also important for the church that's being persecuted to remember that, that even though we're brought before judgments, that even our judges have a judge in heaven. I mean, that's just kind of one of these basic foundational Christian worldview things when we say that the Lord Jesus sits on the throne. I mean, remember, that was the fundamental claim of the Christians that got them martyred. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. And they say, well, no, say, say Lord Caesar. Offer the incense to Caesar. They said, no, we have a better, we have a better throne. We have a better king. And we belong to a better kingdom. Now, that's phenomenal. And perhaps here is the uh, most precious thing about this. And that is that when we get the glimpse of that heavenly throne room in the book of Revelation, we find that the one who is sitting on the throne is the lamb who has been slain. <laughs> that's such... I mean, it's not Jesus transfigured in his glory. In fact, there's even this play on words in, in Revelation chapter 5? Five? 5. I think it's Revelation chapter 5 when, when the scroll is there. Remember the scroll? And it's, um, and it's sealed and sealed front and back. And, and, uh, and John looks at this scroll and he starts weeping because it's locked up. It's can't, it can't be opened. It's just totally closed. And he's weeping because... Because no one is found worthy to open the scroll in heaven or on, on earth. And then one of the elders comes to him and he says, don't weep because, look, the lion has prevailed and he's able to open the, he's able to open the scroll. 
So, so the, here is the lion. You know, you got to think about it. I mean, if I said, "Hey, a lion is coming in the room," you would all kind of. I mean, you'd run, run for the door. It's, I mean, a lion is coming. That's a dangerous sort of thing. And so John looks, and in comes he says, "A lamb as he had been slain." Ah, this is so wonderful that the one who is strong is the one who was sacrificed. I mean, a lamb as he had been slain, a slaughtered lamb. In other words, this is Jesus crucified. This is Jesus with the wounds. This is Jesus with his blood. This is Jesus standing in our place on the cross, suffering all these things for us. That's what's, that is the one who is sitting on the throne. So that we know, we know the one who sits on the throne of the universe. And, and we know that that one is the same one that died for me. Can you imagine it? I mean, it's one thing to say, God Almighty sits on the throne. It's one day, thing to say, God in his glory sits on the throne. It's one thing to say, God in his power and his strength sits on the throne. But to hear that the lamb who was slain sits on the throne, that the lamb who bore your sins That the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, that this one sits on the throne. What comfort. We could boil it down like this. The one who is in charge loves you. <laughs> and this matters. It actually, it matters. I mean, especially when we just, you know, when we're, when we're working through the tough stuff in life. And when we're working through the, the difficult days, when we're working through the, the, the hard diagnoses, when we're, when we're working through the, through the death and the sickness and the, and the unbelief and the doubt and the temptation and the struggles and the weakness and the abandonment of this life, when we're working through all these things, the Scripture reminds us that the one who sits on the throne loves us. When the, when the kings and the thrones and the, 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 the troublers of this world are all after us, when the church is suffering persecution and all of this, the scripture reminds us that the one who sits on the throne loves us. And, and that we are citizens of a kingdom with an incredibly gracious king. You know, when I, when I learned the, the small catechism, I kind of skipped over the part that comes at the end of the second article. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord who has redeemed me, a poor, miserable sinner, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him. In his kingdom. And serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. This is part of the great, phenomenal, can't be even imagined with our own imagination, good news of the gospel. That we live in a different kingdom. That we are not citizens of this world. We belong to Jesus. We are his we are his and he is ours, our Redeemer and, and our King. He sits on the throne with his wounds.
Now, what difference does that make? I noticed a couple of weeks ago, reading through Colossians, just working on the whole overview of Colossians, and I noticed something interesting in the table of duties. So this will be your homework. I'll talk about it in, in a little bit. But if you, I want you to see this for yourself as to go and read sometime this week Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians chapter 3 begins with a section about putting off and putting on, putting, um, putting off the flesh, putting on the new life, putting off the desires of the sinful flesh, putting on the life of the Spirit, and, and living as, as citizens to this king, living as, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom and serving before his throne. And then he gets into the table of duties. And he says, now you're still living at home. I mean, just because you're citizens of the heavenly kingdom doesn't mean that you're not husbands and wives anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not masters and servants anymore. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does change those relationships. It, it changes the shape of them. I want, to, I want to show you that. I'll show you that after the break. We've got to go to the break now, so we'll do it. You're listening to Cross the Fence. We have a short break coming up, and we'll be right back to talk about the throne of Jesus being applied to our own houses and our own workplaces. I'm, I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Back to Cross Defense, your host, Pastor Brad Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul, Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church, both in Austin, Texas. Come and visit when you're hanging around. I just want you guys to know that I was walking into church today, and the whole place, this whole city, smells like barbecue. It is the most wonderful thing. And I think, by the way, I think it was Dr. Kleinig who told me that can you imagine going into the temple in the ancient world when they're offering all of these animal sacrifices that would have smelled like a barbecue joint minus the barbecue sauce someone told me yesterday that that there's been enough antidepressant drugs that you can test you can find traces of antidepressants in normal tap water which is i don't know if that's true or not but someone's talking about it but i i don't wonder if you can find traces of barbecue sauce in the water around here i'm enticing you all to come and visit in Austin, Texas. It's just fantastic. Now, we're talking about the throne room of God and we're and we're <laughs> and we're talking about how G the lamb who is slain sits on the throne room. And we're talking about what that means for our life here below. Uh what how does it say it in Ephesians 1? I should have looked this up during the break. 
I got caught chatting with all the live people on Facebook over here. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, it says, uh, oh, yeah. Well, look at this prayer. This prayer starts in verse 15. It's such a beautiful prayer. Let me find where the sentence is. It says, uh, that, uh, I'll just start in the middle, verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that's God the Father, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. <laughs> to the church. So that Jesus is head over all things. Why? I mean, he, Jesus rules and reigns the universe. I mean, he is the Lord of the stars, the Lord of the universes, the Lord of the galaxies, the Lord of the plants, the Lord of all people, the Lord of lords. And yet he's ruling there specifically for the benefit of his church. Now, how, how, how fantastically have we forgotten this? We, we think that, we, I mean, we look around and we look outside and we say, oh, man, it seems like, it seems like everything is going bad for the church. It looks like that with our own eyes. But Jesus is head over all things for the sake of his church, his bride. He loves his church, and he gives his church favored status in all of his dealings with all of the universe. We know it by faith, not by sight. But we are walking by faith and not by sight. And to know that is stunning. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You're a Christian. You're part of the Lord's church. That means that Jesus is ruling and reigning all things for you. He says it in Romans 8, how, how wonderful this is, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Or here, he calls you and me Christians the fullness of him who fills all in all. <laughs> now, I, don't want, I have to admit that I don't feel like the fullness of him who fills all in all. I don't look like the fullness of him who fills all in all. But God doesn't lie. That's what he tells us. It's fantastic. Now, what does this have to do with Colossians? That's what we're going to talk about now. We told you that in Colossians chapter 3... Paul was making the argument that we put off the old and put on the new. So this is what he says, verse 5. Put to death what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That You know this, we have a Lutheran knee-jerk reaction to it. We say, ah, it's law. Right, it's law. It's still true. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Put off the old self with its practices. It's like you're taking off the dirty clothes. You're putting on the new clothes. This is our life of daily repentance. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be thankful, and so forth. That, that's the putting on, off the flesh, on with the Spirit, every day, off and on, off and on. This is how our Christian life goes. And, and, and this is, I heard someone say this last week. Uh, they said that Jesus is teaching us a new way to be human. Now, I'm thinking about that. I kind of like it. I'm not sure if it's true. 
because I think that Jesus is teaching us the old way to be human, <laughs> the original way to be human. I mean, the Adam and Eve without the garments way to be human. And so the Lord is, um, the Lord is, is, is bringing us back to the original design where Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with one another and perfect fellowship with God. But anyway, no, no matter. He is teaching us a different way to be human than the way that we were born with in, in the sinful, in bondage to the devil way to be human. It, 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 but, but here's the point now, because in chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul is going to transition to talking about the table of duties, husband and wives and this kind of thing, how it is in the home. And this new way of being human does not destroy the home. It does not destroy the order of the family or even the order of the state or even the order of the job of going to work. It, it doesn't destroy it, but it does sanctify it. Now, now I, I want to read a few verses to you, and I want to I point something out. Paul says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So, so there's a place where Paul will talk about in Corinthians um, how the husband is the head of the wife. And there's a, there's a Lord. In fact, Peter says that Sarah submitted to Abraham, calling him Lord. Well, there's a way that, that the wife looks at her husband and says, he's my Lord. And yet, Paul reminds us that your Lord has another Lord. So you submit to this earthly Lord, knowing that he has a Lord who sits on the, on the throne. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In other words, you see how your Lord treats those under him? You do the same. Paul, Paul says this in, in Ephesians gloriously. Christ, uh, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Beautiful. Then now he's on to children, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So that children have lords, their mom and their dad. That's the lord of the house and the lady of the house. I, I wonder if I can get my kids to call me lord and Carrie can be called lady. <laughs> That's actually more, more likely. Hey, lady. Anyway. There to be the Lord and the lady of the house. The children have lords, and yet that, that's their earthly lords, and the children are to know that their lords have another Lord, the Lord Jesus, who stands above. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So you see how, you see that? You see how the, the parents see how the Lord serves them, th those under him, and, and we try to do the same. Then bond servants, verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly lords, masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So as the worker or servant or bond servant or slave, whatever, as they know, they have a Lord who serves over them on earth, that this is to look and see what's happening over them. And then it says, where is this? Lord, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your And then what Paul says to all of us, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. And then verse 1, chapter 4, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
Do you, you see the point there? That this throne of Jesus now starts to even reshape. It reshapes our own, our own understanding of our own earthly vocations. So that we know that there's one who's always above us. That we are always, that, that we might be masters and lords in certain places, but there's always someone over us. That we're never above authority. That there is a king of kings and a lord of lords. And God be praised, he is a gracious king of kings and a gracious Lord of Lords. I hope that's helpful. Okay. There's a couple other, oh man, there's a couple other things we wanted to talk about and we do are not gonna have time. Let me pull up this question. Maybe maybe we'll have a little bit of time for this question. Well, okay, while I'm looking for this question, um, I was thinking about this week because we're, a, a lot of churches are gonna have transfiguration happening on Sunday. And this is this beautiful text where Jesus takes James and John and Peter up on the mountain and he's transfigured before them and he glows like this. And I was trying to think of a game and it would be something like this, to think of, to try to imagine all the places where Jesus uh, wasn't transfigured. So, so for example, <laughs> Jesus was transfigured on the place that was the farthest he could get from Jerusalem. I mean, when he takes them up on Mount Hermon or wherever this is, they're way, way up out of the way. I mean, they're off the map. They're, they're, they're way up north. But what if Jesus would have been... So, for example, imagine if Jesus was transfigured in the garden when the soldiers came to arrest him. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? <laughs> they just run for it. Or imagine this. Imagine Jesus is there before Pilate, and Pilate has had Jesus beaten and whipped and spit on, and he has the crown of thorns, and he has the purple robes, and he brings him out before the people, and he says, Behold the man, and Jesus goes, and he's transfigured then. Or imagine that Jesus has been taken to the cross. And the soldiers are about to nail him. They've got, the, they've got the nail placed on his hand, and they've got the hammer pulled back, and they're about to nail him to the cross. And then all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> now, it is occurring to me, I don't know how, it occurs to me that the miracle of the transfiguration is not only the fact of the transfiguration, that his divine glory radiates through his human flesh, but that he hides it most of the time. That he's not normally transfigured. That he's normally walking around in such a way that the soldiers look at him and say, that's a guy we can arrest. And the guys in the praetorium can say, that's a guy I can spit upon. And the soldiers in front of Pilate say, that's a guy I can strip and, and strike in the face and tear out his beard. And Pilate says, that's a guy I can mock and drag before the people. Or the soldiers say, that's a guy I can nail to the cross. I mean, that's the real miracle. Not that Jesus radiates with divine glory but that he doesn't. Remember how St. Paul sang about this? He said that, that Christ Jesus humbled himself, being made in the form like a man. He, hum he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, it is incredible to think that Jesus is God in the flesh, but it is, 
perhaps even more graciously and incredible to consider. Hmm. The God, that Jesus is God on the cross. That he, that he takes upon my flesh so that he can hide his glory. He takes upon my blood so that he can spill it for my redemption. That he takes upon the, this form that we have, this servant's form, this weakness. He takes this on. He, he, he hides his glory so that we can behold his grace. He hides his power so that we can behold his redemption. He hides his radiant transcendence so that we can know his eternal love. So we can behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's... That's the wonder of the transfiguration. Oh, well, may God grant us joy as we hear about that and study it this week. I can't believe we're out of time and we didn't even get to this question about worship. Well, I'll try to remember that that's what we're going to talk about next week. It's Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and I'm your host here on Cross Defense. I really appreciate you guys hanging around with me for an hour uh, every Monday afternoon. And if you're listening to the podcast, God be praised. Glad you're here as as well. There's more theology at wolfmuller.co. You'll find a lot of books to download, almost all of them available for free. We've taken some Luther stuff and some old, some great old theology, republished that. You can download that for free. Find some other audio and video stuff is there. Wolfmuller.co. And until next week, God's peace be with you. May you behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Oh, as always, thanks again for being a podcast listener. I really appreciate that. You know, this is live radio, then podcast on demand is really fantastic. You can listen anytime and you can share it with friends. I think that maybe that's the one of the biggest blessings of it. And I hope that. I hope the show was a blessing to you today, and if you think of someone, hey, I think this would be good for so-and-so, let them know. And if you're getting this shared from a friend, well, thank them for sharing it with you, and make sure to subscribe so you get it every week. We do this. We talk about the Lord's Word to excite our theological imaginations and rejoice in the Lord's kindness to us. So thanks again. God's peace be with you. We'll talk to you again next week.